Um, so I was, uh, I shared with you last week that we're moving, which is terrible to move. It's terrible. I'm ne- last time we moved, I said, I'm never going to move again. And then here we are, moving again. I'm never going to move again. You can hold me to it. But anyway, so uh, we're moving. By the way, my thumbs are healing nicely. I shared that I like destroyed my thumbs last week. They're healing nicely. Thank you for your concern. Some of you are very concerned about that. Um, but anyway, as we were moving stuff this past week, I found this old baseball that uh, has a bunch of signatures on it. I hadn't seen it in a long time. It's got a bunch of signatures on it. And none of the signatures are like famous signatures. In fact, none of them, I don't think any of them are English names even. No one's ever heard of any of these names, but this is a very, very special ball. It's not like the 1927 Yankees or something like that. Like, but these are uh, very special names to me because I got this ball, I don't know, it was like probably 15 years ago. We did a missions trip in Hungary, in the, the country Hungary. And uh, we taught them baseball, which sounds like maybe it would just be like a fun, easy thing. But baseball is actually, some of you guys are baseball players. Baseball is actually a really complicated sport if you have no familiarity with baseball. And believe it or not, they had no familiarity with baseball. Like they had never even heard of it. They'd never seen it. They had no concept of it. So we're teaching them baseball and it's crazy. And it was so much fun. And so at the end of the trip, we had all of like the kids sign the little baseball thing. And uh, just a really special thing. And so why? While we were there on that trip, we, uh, we had like one day where we did a little bit of sightseeing. I don't want that to roll off. We, we, we did a little bit of sightseeing, and Hungary is like this amazing place. Has anybody ever been there? Nobody's ever been there. Hungary's this amazing place. Like this, this really rich history. And so we went to uh, Budapest. So we were in a little city called Air. We went to a city called Budapest, which is the capital. Big, like, westernized city right on the Danube River. This is actually a scene that's been in a lot of movies. It's really cool. And there's this gigantic palace that you got to see in these really, really old cathedrals that are, like, so much older than anything that we would see here. It's just amazing. It's an amazing experience. And then we went to this other city um, called... Called, I can never say it right. Holoku, Holoku. Hungarian's like the third hardest language to speak. Okay, so bear with me here. Don't judge me. Now it's like Holoku, and it's this really, really old city with these cobblestone streets, and they had this really old castle. I think it dates back to the 13th century. 13th century, right? This old Turkish castle. And I remember walking up to it. It was so cool. Actually, I took a nap. I took a little nap, like right over there. It was amazing. But they had this festival at Easter and um, they, they like had all of these vendors and stuff and so Marsh and I were dating at the time and when I was there I actually bought her a little wooden wedding ring in this little village it cost me like five bucks. Best deal of my life. No, just kidding. I got, her, I got her a real one a little bit later. But it's just such a cool experience. So I'm just, you know, I pick up this baseball and, you know, I just start thinking about this stuff and thinking about visiting really cool places in the world. And, and then this kind of question, it got me thinking, like, imagine you could go one day, 24 hours, anywhere in the world, anywhere on this planet, where would you go? Like, like, if I gave you a check for $50,000 and I said, you could go one place anywhere in the world, do whatever you want when you're there, where would you go? I think about that question. Like maybe, maybe it's Hawaii. I'd love to go to Hawaii one day. Maybe it's the Grand Canyon. I love the Grand Canyon. Maybe it's like the Cayman Islands, you know? I would love to go to the, to the Great Barrier Reef right off Australia. Do a little excursion thing there. It'd be awesome. Swiss Alps. Like, wherever it is. Cape Town, South Africa. Wherever it is. Like, where would you go if you could go anywhere in the world for 24 hours? Next question. Why would you go there? 
Just, just think about it. Why, why would you choose wherever it is that your mind is thinking about right now? Like, is it the, the scenery of it? You know, like it's just beautiful. Is it the history? Like, I love that about Budapest. It was like, that. it's just so rich historically. Is it, uh, you know, like the activities, the things that you could do there? You know, excursions? Is, the, is it the adventure? Is it maybe the relationships? You know, maybe you would go somewhere and you would take somebody with you and it'd be like extra special. Or you go visit somebody there. Well, tonight we're going to look at this psalm where the psalmist really answers that question. Like, that's, that's kind of the question that he answers. If he could go anywhere in the world for one day, for 24 hours, where would he go? And his answer to that question, I think his answer to that question can be really, really challenging to us in our faith here in Barberton, Ohio tonight. So I'm excited to dig into this with you guys. I, here's what I want to do. Tonight, the, the, the song that we're going to look at is so simple. Like it's, the message is so simple, but it is so powerful. So powerful. So here's what I want to do. I just want to pray as we open tonight. I just want to pray that God would just do whatever he wants to do inside of us. Okay? So let me do that. Father, um, I give you tonight. I pray pray. Thank you, first of all, God, for allowing us to just be here and sing songs to you and worship you. And it's, it's nice and cool in here, God. It's, uh, it's, just a, it's, it's safe. Thank you for allowing us to be in your presence tonight. And Lord, I pray that you do exactly what you want to do. We're, we're here probably for a variety of reasons, but it all boils down to we want to get to know you better. We want, we want, to, we want to delve into who you are. And so, Father, I pray that as we dig into the psalm tonight, that you would teach us more about who you are, and you would challenge us right here and right now in our faith and in our walk with you. So we give you this time, God. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we've been doing uh, this series in the book of Psalms over most of the summer, and uh, I love the book of Psalms. Who's been reading it? We challenge you. No, you don't have to raise your hand. I don't want to make anyone feel bad. But we've been challenging you to like read through the book of Psalms. I hope you get a chance to do that. Psalms, one of the things that we said, kind of the tagline of the series is so raw. Like so many of the Psalms are just like these raw human emotions. And it's the whole spectrum of emotions, you know? I mean, there's some that are like so joyous and triumphant. And there's some that are like so sad and struggling. And the Psalmists are very real and raw in each of these Psalms. And the Psalms are poetry, which are a little bit different than probably what most of us spend our time reading. You pick up the paper, you don't read much poetry, right? You click on an article, you don't read much poetry. Books, poetry. But this is poetry. So it's a little bit different kind of read. And it's also prayers. So these are, these. we have in the book of Psalms, the writer's prayers to God. We have the captured prayers of these guys to God. And I would encourage you too, like for a lot of us, maybe prayer is a challenging thing. Like, I don't know how to pray. I, I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to say. Pray the Psalms back to God. Like these are, these are ready-made prayers for us that we can pray back to him, that we can speak back to him, that are really, really powerful. So I encourage you that way. So uh, as we've been digging into this, we said there's lots of different kinds of psalms. Like in the book of Psalms, it's one book, but it's really broad, and there's lots of different genres of psalms. And so you have some royal psalms. We looked at some of those that, that kind of describe the power and the kingliness of God. We have uh, what's called songs of, psalms of lament, which are kind of like struggling, sorrow, right? We have imprecatory psalms, which are psalms that, that kind of pray that God would punish the evil, that God would punish the wicked, those that are against him. We talked about psalms of thanksgiving, pilgrimage, Psalms, enthronement psalms, wisdom psalms. There's all kinds of different psalms in the book of Psalms. The one thing that's really important, and, and, and this is especially relevant for us tonight, the book of Psalms is really a book about God. 
the center, which you might go, duh, but the center of the book of Psalms is God. A lot of times when we read, when we just kind of go through life, we can put ourselves at the center, right? Like I can, I can make life about me pretty easily, right? But the book of Psalms is very much a book about God. And the psalm that we're going to look at tonight is no exception. God is front and center in this psalm. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your Bibles. If you've got a Bible, flip it open to the book of Psalms in the Old Testament and go to Psalm 84. Psalm 84. By the way, if you don't have a Bible of your own or you didn't bring it tonight, you don't got a phone or whatever it is to look on it, uh, we got a whole table full of them back there. If you just put your hand up, John will make sure that you get a, a Bible right there. In, uh, in the church Bibles, it's page 476. As you're flipping there, I want to say this. So one of the things in, uh, in this psalm in particular, and actually a bunch of the psalms, you'll see a word that may or may not be familiar to some of us. It's called Selah. You ever heard of that? It's in this psalm actually two different times. And Selah is a word that probably a lot of us don't know what it means. It is in the original uh, Hebrew of this, okay? It's in the original writing. Uh, Selah, what it means, actually scholars aren't totally sure what it means. It's kind of interesting, right? But what generally they think is it's like a liturgical term, a musical term that either means to get louder or to pause, a lot of times I would say, when you see the word Selah, it's an opportunity for us as the reader to pause and reflect on what was just written. And so you're going to see this a couple times in this psalm. And I'd encourage you, as you see that, in your mind, just kind of, I'll pause for a second as I read it. But in your mind, kind of pause for a second and think about what was just said. Okay? And I want to say this too, as we read this, don't get lost in some of the details that maybe don't pertain to us as much today. For example, in here, there's going to be some geography that you're like, I don't even know where that place is. The Valley of Baca is what it says in here. Like, I don't know where the, is it Chewbacca? I don't know what the Valley of Baca is. I have no, no, it talks about the king in here, right? We don't have a king. We don't operate with a king. It talks about a temple, the temple of God. We don't have a temple. We don't go to the temple. But I want to encourage you, as you, as you see those, don't just like dismiss it and go, that, that has no relevance, that has no bearing to me. What I want you to do is think about the emotions and the feelings that are driving the psalmist as he writes this, as he writes this prayer to God. Think about, kind of get under the surface a little bit and allow what the psalmist is writing about, allow his, his feelings, his emotions to kind of affect you and your faith and your feelings and emotions, okay? So when you see that, don't just dismiss it and go, temple, I don't, I don't, we don't go to a temple, all right? I don't have a king. Don't just dismiss it, but think, what's driving the psalmist? Almost as he writes that, okay? All right, so Psalm 84, hopefully you're there in your Bible. Here we go. It's 12 verses. I'm just going to read it all, okay? 12 verses. It doesn't take that long. We'll read it all together, and then we'll dig into it a little bit more here in a second. So here's what it says. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Selah. Verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Selah. 
Verse 9. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. I love this psalm. It's a powerful psalm. So, so in ancient Jerusalem, they had a temple, right? And the temple was super special to them. The temple would have been a super, super special place to an ancient Jew. Do you know why? It's, it's actually not because, so that's maybe a rendering of what it would look like. It's actually not because it's like the most magnificent structure ever built. It's actually not, you know, why it was, it was so beautiful and perfect and, and rich materials to build it. That's, act, that's actually not why the temple was so revered to them. In fact, if you go back and you read in 1 Kings, so, so Solomon was the one who built the temple, who originally built the temple. And it was beautiful. It was amazing. It took him seven years to build it. And you're like, wow, seven years to build the temple. It's amazing. Well, it took him 11 years to build his, I'm sorry, 13 years to build his palace, right? So even back then, it probably wasn't the most most magnificent building that they had ever seen. What made the temple so special was because God was present in the temple in a very unique way, in a very different way. And if you're interested in kind of digging into that, like in some way, God manifests himself um, just presently in the temple back then. So if you wanted to go meet with God, there was a place in the inner part of the temple called the Holy of Holies. You would go to the temple to meet with God. The very presence of God was manifest there. If you want to dig into that a little deeper, read about it in the Old Testament. But what made the temple so special to the Jews, to the writer who's writing this, is that God's presence was there in that temple. So in the first four verses of this psalm, you have the psalmist just longing, just longing to be with God in his temple, in his dwelling place. So that's a kind of the, the terminology that's used there, in his dwelling place, in the courts of God. And again, we don't worship God in a temple, but I want you to just just listen to the psalmist's heart in these verses. Look, look back at verse 2. I'll just, I'll just paraphrase a little bit. He's like, my soul yearns for you, God. Like, I, I, I faint to be with you. My heart and my flesh cry out for you, God. Like, feel the emotion there, right? Verse 3, and I'm, again, I'm paraphrasing here, but he's like, yeah, you can imagine him like looking up at the temple as he's writing this, and he sees this bird nest up in the, in the corner of the temple and the rafters of the temple, and he's like, Man, that lucky sparrow, you know? Like he built his nest right there in the rafters of the temple. That sparrow gets to be in the presence of God all the time. Like I'm so jealous, right? Verse 4, he says, blessed or blessed, when you see blessed, it means happy. Blessed or happy are those who are in your house with you because they get to worship in your presence all the time. Like that's, you see sort of the, the, the emotions coming up from the writer. You see his passion for God. Nothing else even comes close. Is, is his focus split? My focus is on God, but it's also on a whole bunch of other things. No. God and God alone are his focus. God and God alone are what's most important to him. Now, when I think about that, like when I read those first verses, here's what I'm challenged by. Like, here's the question that comes right to me. Ready? Where's my focus? Where's my focus? And what am, what am I longing for? 
We all, we all long for things, right? We all have like this yearning inside of us. We all have a, a primary focus in our lives. Like, what's your focus? Like, what, what are the things that you're yearning for? What are the things that you're longing for? We're, we're a health conscious society, right? Are you, are you yearning for good health? I'm going to do whatever it takes. I work all the time. I'm going to eat healthy. Like, is that what you're yearning for? Is that what your focus is? Maybe it's, it's happiness. I just want to be happy. You know? Maybe it's pleasure. I want to enjoy life. You know? that's, what, that's what drives me. I think a lot of people are that way, whether we admit it or not. I think a lot of people are that way. Maybe it's an easy life. I'll be honest. When I was younger, that was, that was like what I wanted more than anything. I just kind of want to coast. I want an easy life. I want to be a mailman in North Carolina. I, for some reason, I thought that was like the easiest job. <laughs> Walk around in the sunshine all the time. I thought that'd be great. Maybe for you, it's wealth. Man, if I could just... If I, I have a friend that would, that would tell me a lot. Man, if I could just win the lottery, all my problems would be gone if I could just win the lottery. Maybe for you, it's success. You know? Maybe for you, it's power and influence. Maybe it's acceptance by others. Maybe it's admiration, the admiration of others. Like if people would just... Like if, if they would think I'm something special... Maybe it's a spouse. I don't know. Like, what is it that's your focus? What is it that drives you? There's so many things in this world that beg for our attention. You know, there's so many things that beg for our focus. Sometimes when I'm, like, on the Internet, I'll go to, like, a news site or, or I click on Facebook, you know, and it's got, like, a whole bunch of headlines and stuff. Sometimes I see these headlines and I just chuckle. You know, like, how these sites try to draw you in. Like, how they try to get your attention, you know, to click on, to click on this story. Like, it's, you know, something so important. Four cringeworthy America's Got Talent accidents. Hmm, accident. Ozzy Osbourne opens up about an affair. Five things you didn't know about Mayim Bialik. I don't think there's five things I did know about Mayim Bialik. <laughs> this, is, this was my favorite one. This is on CNN the other day. Michigan teen faces jail in phony cop stunt to woo Hooters girls. If that ain't clickbait, I don't know what is, right? So many things beg for our attention. But what are you longing for in your life? Like, be honest with yourself. What are you longing for in your life? Because this is, this is what Christianity is. It's longing for God. And saying God is the most important thing to me. It's, it's not, Christian, this, is a, this is a terrible misconception. Christianity is not about making God part of my life. That, that ain't Christianity. Christianity is not about going to church. Glad you're here, but this isn't what makes you a Christian. Christianity isn't about trying to be a good person. Christianity isn't about just believing that God exists. That's not even Christianity. Christianity is about making God the most important thing in our lives. It's giving him top priority. It's, it's making everything else secondary. I don't know about you. You're probably just like me. You've got lots of other things in your life that you enjoy, you know, that, you, that you're passionate about. But it's making everything else secondary to him. It's loving him more than our hobbies. It's loving him more than our jobs. It's loving him more than success. It's loving him more than entertainment. It's loving him more than our family and friends. It's loving him more than we even love ourselves. That's what Christianity is. Like, what's God's place in your life? 
think about that question. Some of you, I know, are like living your life to make God the number one priority. I know you are. And then, guys, may I just be honest with you? Like with deep love. I say, I know that some of us are living our lives and God is, God's just a, a secondary thing. Like my, my time with him is when a crisis comes about and I don't know what else to do. My time with him is when life's convenient, when, when it's convenient to be with him. My time with him is when it's comfortable for me, if it doesn't rub anybody else the wrong way, right? What do you think Jesus meant when he said this? He said this in Matthew 10. Now these, are, these are like sobering words. Jesus' own words. He says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever takes up their cross and follows me, I'm sorry, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And he says, whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. What's, like, what's that mean? Well, he wants our lives to be about him, not us, right? Like he, he, he wants to be the absolute center of our lives. And when we do that, like when we make him number one, when we make him our focus, him our priority, him our passion, it gives our life meaning. It gives our life purpose. It gives our life joy. It allows us to love people to a depth that we could never, that we could never do if we didn't understand how absolutely loved we were by him. The psalmist loved for nothing more than to be with God. Do you long for that same thing? Just honestly ask yourself that. Can you say that? Look, at, look back at verse 5. Look at the next verse there. We'll throw it up on the screen here. He says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make, a, make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. See, probably, like, let's be honest, probably none of us are going to go on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, right? Pro like, probably none of us. Probably none of us will ever pass through the, through the, val the Valley of Baca. I, I mean, the scholars don't even know where that's at, actually. What they, what they think is it's this dry, eerie, depressing place. Probably none of us are ever going to pass through the Valley of Baca. But again, I want you to think about, like, the deeper meaning that the psalmist is, is writing this with. Like, what's going on inside of him. Verse 5, blessed happy are those who find their strength in you as they travel through life. Right? Like happy are those who find their strength in you as they go through life. Verse 6. As they pass through the deep dark valleys of life they make it tolerable. They make it even good, even joyous. Why? Because you're with them. Right? Verse 7. They go from strength to strength. Why? Because God's their strength. See, I know we're probably not going to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, to Zion, with God as our strength, but I'm journeying through life, right? And so are you. Here's the question. Am I walking with God in my journey? We're not, not going to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, but, but we're journeying through this life. Are, are, is God part of it, you know? Like, are, are we inviting him in? Think about the, the daily decisions of your life, the daily moments of your life. Like, is, 
Is God part of those things? I'm, I'm speaking to myself right now too. Is God part of it? Is he part of the decisions that we make? Is he part of the wonderful times? Is he part of the really hard times? Is he my strength? Is he what keeps me going? Or am I trying to rely on myself? Man, we could be really good at that. We could be really good at relying on ourselves. My son Luke has uh, this problem where he doesn't drink enough water. So he's like this really active kid. He's always like running around. I just got thirsty. He's always running around and playing and sweating and all that stuff. And we get to the end of the day and uh, he's not had nearly enough water. And uh, when you don't have enough water throughout the day, what happens? You get a what? Headache, right? And so this happens like all the time, probably three days a week. We get to the end of the night, like he's running out, he's playing, he's having so much fun, and he'll drink almost nothing the entire day. And so he gets to the end of the night, and he's got this terrible headache. And see, so here's the thing. This, this is what I find so interesting. Luke knows that he needs to drink water. Luke knows that if he doesn't drink water, he's going to get a headache. Luke knows that if he has a headache because he's not drinking water, if he would just go drink some water, it would help with his headache. And yet, even when he has a headache and he should be drinking water, he doesn't want to. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't want to do it. It's like his body has gone so long without much of it that it's gotten used to it. And he like doesn't even crave it. He doesn't even, his body actually doesn't crave the water anymore. Even though he knows it would make him feel better. Even though he knows he needs it and it would help him. He doesn't want it. Even when he's got a headache, he doesn't want it. Guys, I think many times that's what it's like with God in our lives. It's like water to us, you know? Just like our body absolutely needs water to survive, we absolutely need him to survive. And, and we can get by with, with a perpetual headache with just a little bit of him, right? Like, we could get by, we could get through life with just a little bit of him. We're going to have a headache, a perpetual headache. And when we live that way very long, we're just taking a little bit of God. We're just going to him a little bit. It's interesting, we actually kind of stop craving him, you know? We, we get used to life with just a little bit of him. We don't realize how much we need him, and we adjust, and we don't flourish. I can think about this in my own life. We don't flourish, but we get by. See, here's the thing. God made us to need him. Like, God made us to need lots of him. And that's not weakness. Guys, we could be terrible at this. Like, I'm strong. I don't, I, don't, I don't need anybody. I could do it on my own. A lot of times, guys, we can act like that, right? It's not weakness that we need God. It's exactly how he made us to be, to journey through this life, going from strength to strength with him. Are, are you walking with God on your journey? Just think about it. Think about your day. Think about your week. Think about the last couple weeks. Are you walking through God, with God, on your journey through life? Is he a part of your daily life as you walk through the deserts and through the valleys? Or are you just kind of going through life with a low-grade headache? I'm getting by. I'm making it. L look at these last few verses. After the psalmist prays for the king, in, in verse 9, he prays for God's anointed one, which is another word for the king. So he prays for the king. Uh, he shares with us a little bit about um, his love of being in the presence of God. And then he gives us this promise. And I want you to see this. Look at, ver look at verse 10, I guess. 
It says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. He says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. See, if we could have 24 hours, if we could have one day anywhere on the planet that we want, we, we might go to Hawaii or the Great Barrier Reef or Cape Town, South Africa. This psalmist, if he had one day, there is no place that he would rather be than in the very presence of God. No place. Nothing is even close. In fact, he would rather be there for one day than a thousand anywhere else. And he says, I, I love this, he says he'd rather be a doorman in the house of God. Another translation says, uh, to lie as a beggar. I'd rather lie as a beggar at the entrance of the temple than be anywhere else. I think about his passion for God. Like, I want to be able to say that. I don't know how, like, I don't know what goes through your mind. I wish I could read your mind. <laughs> Maybe I don't, I don't know. I don't know what goes through your mind as you read that, you know. But man, I want that. Like, I want to be that passionate about being with God. I want to know God so well that there's like nothing inside of me that, that, that I want more than to just be with him. And he shares with us a promise about God for those that walk with him. This is the promise. God protects and provides for those who walk with him blamelessly. That's a, that is a great, great promise. Flip to that next slide, please. God protects and provides for those who walk with him blamelessly. It says, he's our sun and shield. Like, what does that mean? What does it mean that God is our sun and shield? It means he's our sovereign protector. He's, he's like our sun. What does the sun do? It illumines our path, right? Like, it shows us the right way. Imagine you're traveling through the woods in, in the dark of night. He's like the brightest flashlight that you could have, right? It's like a sun. He illumines the way. shows us the right way. He's a shield. What does a shield do? A shield protects us from people or, th or things that seek to hurt us or destroy us. He's our protector, right? It says, it says he bestows favor and honor. I don't know about you, but I want to live in God's favor. I want to I, I live, I don't know if that's selfish, I don't think it is. I want to live in God's favor. And I want to be an honorable man. God bestows favor and honor. And then it says, he brings good things to those who walk with him blamelessly. And that, that word blamelessly, at first you read that, and I don't know what goes through your mind, but I think, uh, like, I think sinlessly, I think perfectly, and it, and it starts to get me worried. Like, blessed are those, he gives good things to walk with him perfectly or sinlessly, and I think, uh-oh, I'm in trouble because I know I don't do that. But that's actually not what blamelessly means in this context. Take it more like wholeheartedly, those that walk with him wholeheartedly. It really goes back to that that yearning that we talked about for God where he's our number one he gives good things to those that make him their number one that's what God does for us which is like a great promise you know walk with him see how he'll provide for you see how he'll meet your needs test him try him find that he's faithful he takes care of those that love him and then it says blessed is the one who trusts in you not the one who trusts in himself not the one who trusts in politicians. Not the one who trusts in the stock market. Not the one who trusts in our family or friends. But blessed or happy. I want to be happy. We probably all want to be happy. Blessed or happy is the one who trusts in him. Not in anything else. 
love that. I, I want to end with, with a story. And, you know, I always try to be just real honest and transparent with you guys. You guys know I'm not perfect, right? Yeah, okay. They're like, duh, yeah, I know. Um, so I want to just kind of share with you a little bit about uh, what's happened with me over the last month or so, last few weeks. I just kind of had, so this has been just a really busy time. We're sure that we're moving and uh, that the house that we moved into probably needed more work than what we were anticipating. It's like exhausting, you know. And then we were on vacation. Vacation was spent doing stuff at the house. And I just feel like, I don't know what you guys, how you guys are wired, but I get out of rhythm easily. You know, like I like a schedule. I like when I, you know, this is my normal week. And when I, when I don't have that, even vacation, like vacations are fun, but it gets me out of rhythm. And I feel a little bit out of, out of whack spiritually. And so, you know, I've just been so distracted and so busy and like just stressful stuff going on all the time. And I'll be honest with you, I've, I felt dry in my relationship with God, you know, just felt, and, and I guess I felt like I was functioning in my own strength. Yeah, and so I, I am pretty disciplined about reading in my Bible uh, consistently and, and, and talking to God, you know, praying to Him. But if I'm honest, like over the past month or so, I, I felt like God was like a friend, a good friend that I just hadn't seen or spent much time with recently. Like, I love Him. We're, we're friends. I just hadn't spent a whole lot of time with Him recently. And so I just kind of felt off. And, and I should say that... Um, like for me, having extended periods of time with God is really healthy. Like I need that. And praying for me is not, some people, some of you are incredible prayers, like you're prayer warriors. I love that. I, for, for me, prayer, I, I, I get like antsy, you know? I, 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 studying the Bible and helping people, doing things, talking to people, relationships, that comes much easier for me. And so I have to really work to be a man of prayer, to be somebody who prays. And so for me, what I've found, and I know some of you are like this too, I pray best when I'm doing something like rote, like, like mindless, you know? So here's what I do. I'll give you an example. Here's what I do. I go on hikes and I put my headphones on and I put Gregorian chant in. <laughs> That's what I listen to because I don't understand anything that they're saying. And, but it just helps me sort of block everything out and I'm doing something. I'm being active and it helps me, it helps me focus on praying to God. And so, you know, was, a couple weeks ago, I was like longing to be with God, just longing to be with him. And I felt so sick and tired of being busy and distracted and out of rhythm with him. And so I went on a hike and I just went on a walk and I, I pulled my hat down real low. And so if anybody saw me, they, they would, we wouldn't make eye contact and have to say anything, you know. And um, I just went to talk with my father. And I'll tell you what, at first when I went, it felt a little bit strange because it had been a while since we'd had like just good time together. And it took me a little time to, like, focus my mind, you know, and, and, like, take control of my thoughts and not let my mind wander, you know. And uh, I, I, I had to confess to him. Like, I had to repent to him. Like, I, I'm sorry that, like, to be honest with God, sometimes it's painful, you know. I had to go to him and say, I've made other things more important than you. I've made other things a priority in my life. You're, you're amazing. You provide. You do all these things. But more of my time and my energy was spent doing other things than on, than on you. And I had to confess to him. 
and I had to repent. And I said, God, I don't want to do that anymore. And I, and I commit to you that I'm not going to live that way anymore. That no matter how busy I get, and this is all within the last month, right? No matter how busy I get, no matter how much stuff I got going on, you're going to be my priority. You're going to be the non-negotiable in my day. And not like a five-minute prayer time. But like, you're, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to spend time with you. And at first that was uncomfortable, you know? It's hard to be honest before God sometimes. And then I, I told him I wanted to be him to be my priority. And as I sat there, I was walking, I guess, as I was walking, the one thing that I felt more than anything else was loved. I just so deeply and so completely loved. See, I can be tempted at times to carry a little bit of guilt, you know? Like, I'm the pastor. I can't have dry times in my life, you know? Like, I have people. If my life's dry, then how are people going to have vibrant times that I'm trying to love and shepherd and lead? Like, I'm a professional Christian, for goodness sake, right? So a pastor is, a professional Christian. And I don't know if it's, like, me being hard on myself or if it's the enemy of the devil kind of whispering into my heart. But I can carry guilt if I'm not careful. And I don't know, you know, what God thinks about all of those thoughts. There's probably some truth in some of those things. But I know this. When a fallen human being who is in process of being made holy and right and sin-free like I am, I'm in process just like the rest of us, when we cry out to God with humility and honesty and repentance embraces us. He welcomes us. He gives us grace. He shows us mercy. And he lets us know just how loved we are. Guys, I share that with you because I'll bet, I'm sure, some of us in here in the room, like right now, are feeling like I was a couple weeks ago. Just dry, you know? Just, just struggling, like out of rhythm with God, doing life on our own, doing life in our own strength. And I want to encourage you. Go to Him. Like, don't wait. You know, when, when you're feeling lost, He'll help you. He'll show you the way. He's our son, right? When you're feeling distracted, He'll help you. He'll focus your heart. When you're feeling like life's careening out of control, He'll stabilize you. Circumstances don't always change, but we change. He changes us, right? When you feel scared, He'll help you. When you feel empty, He'll fill you. Like, I don't know where most of you are at spiritually tonight. I got a little idea. But you do. You do. I'll encourage you. Like, don't wait. If you're struggling, go to him. Confess where there needs to be confession. Sometimes we don't talk about or think about repentance enough. You know? Like, there's probably, we all have things in our lives that we got to go, man, I don't know why I'm doing this. I'm going to turn the other way. I'm going to commit God before you. I'm going to walk away from this. And I'm going to pursue you. Like, if you've got things in your life that you need to confess and repent of, don't wait. Do it. And don't be scared about how God is going to react. If you go to him humbly and confess to him, he's not going to go, yeah, well, I'm going to discipline you because you've been a bad kid. No. He's going to wrap his arms around you and embrace you. And you're going to feel very, very loved. So I want to encourage you tonight.
we're gonna the band's gonna come out here in a second and we're gonna we're gonna sing one last song together that's actually uh, it's one of my favorite songs it's a song about this psalm you'll see the words the words are taken right from it and I want to encourage you like as you sit here well I guess we'll stand and we'll sing just allow God to do whatever God wants to do inside of your heart. If you've got some things that you need to take to him and confess and turn away from, do it. Like, don't wait. Do it.